So I am speaking today to Dr. Bernie Siegel, or Bernie as he likes to be known, and Bernie is a medical doctor. He was a paediatric and general surgeon and has for many years specialised in helping cancer patients. And he's also the author of the best-selling book, Love, Medicine and Miracles, described as a wonderful book that every patient and physician should read, but I think we are going to say every lawyer should read as well. So welcome, Bernie. Thank you very much, Jane. Now, uh, Bernie, I, I, I think I've told you before, but um, I just wanted to mention that your book, Love, Medicine and Miracles, changed my life. And it actually fell off the library shelf one day and hit me on the head. And we're talking about the hardback copy here. So I felt compelled to read it. And the story it tells is of you, a talented physician, a cancer doctor, disillusioned with the standard way of treating patients. And you had two choices, I think, give up medicine or continue to practice medicine, right. but in a wholly different way. Is that right? Yes. And I may add, you just said my book changed your life. Yes. No, it didn't. You changed your life. Ah, okay. You see, it, yes. the book can be your coach. I call it myself and others can be life coaches. Yes. So they're not telling you you're a failure. You don't do anything right. You're embarrassing me. Um, they're telling you how to improve and do it better. Yes. And so then people listen because it's not criticism, it's coaching. Yes. So, you know, when people say to me, you saved my life, I say, no, I didn't, you did. Yeah. But I gave them the tools, you know, and they're willing to show up for practice. That's another thing that I see because there are a lot of people who are afraid, oh, I'll do it wrong, I won't get well, or I won't. You know, whatever I'm trying to do won't happen, so I better not try because I'm a failure. And if we grow up with those messages from the authorities, you know, parents, teachers, others, telling us that we're a failure, it's very hard to get people to take on the challenge. And one other thing I would say that, because one of the words you used made me think of it in the introduction, that this is not a battle. You know, how often you read the newspaper... So-and-so loses their battle. Yes. So fails. Yes. So when they're dying. Or i got to fight a war against my cancer. Yeah. It, and it isn't just cancer. Stop fighting a war. Heal your life. So That's I, a very I, different thing to do. So when you work at healing your life and your body, I call it love your life and love your body, then you derive benefits. But when you're fighting a war, you're empowering your enemy. I mean, look what's going on in the world today. What if we loved our enemies? Oh, yeah. And, yeah, I always say I wish I were president because... I think we all wish you were president. <laughs> what I would do is say, look, why should I bother spending money on airplanes and bombs and submarines? And why don't I go to the country that we're having a problem with and say, look, I'd like to give you a couple of billion dollars to improve your country and not waste it on weapons. Yeah. What are, what, how are they going to deal with you? Yeah. Yeah. And why don't they just have a conversation? So what's what's interested me, Bernie, and we started to talk about this, um, is that you're a doctor and I'm a lawyer. And actually, we've had very similar ways traditionally of dealing with our professions, which is to see this as a battle, um, that there are black and white ways of dealing with things and uh, that, you know, somebody wins and somebody loses. So uh, that that's interested me that that we come from different professions but with similar approaches to the one and both you and I have you you don't have to see it as winning or losing yeah 
I mean, I love Joseph Campbell and a lot of the things he's written because, see, you could say, gee, I lost. But what if you said to yourself, what am I to learn from this experience? Because yeah. that's what he said. When you're going through hell, say, what am I to learn from this experience? Then the curse becomes a blessing. Right? Because when I say to people, what are you going through? There are people who say it's a wake-up call, a blessing, a new beginning. Yes. Because they've confronted their mortality and it made them change their life. Yeah. And, of course, then they didn't die when they were supposed to. But this is a quote from one lawyer. Because I always say, being a lawyer is a serious illness. <laughs> you're trained to think because laws vary in different places. So you have to know how to deal with the law and to be able to think. Whereas a body is the same no matter where you are. Yeah. So you learn about the body. You can learn about a disease. Um it's, it's different training. But this lawyer was told he had a 5% chance of living two years. Right. He had the same accident you had. His car was being fixed. He went in a used bookstore. What falls off the shelf? Love, medicine, and miracles. <laughs> and believe me, those are no coincidences. Yes. There are a lot of angels around who do those things. And so he read the book, and he wrote to me and said, I transformed my life, and my cancer disappeared. Okay. His doctor wasn't interested in what he did because they, they think it's spontaneous. It isn't. It's self-induced. But another lawyer wrote to me with this comment. He said in the midst of a crisis, he had to make decisions about what to do with things. Some were mechanical. Like where, I mean, somebody's rushed to the emergency room. Where do I put his car? Because they were in the street when something happened. Um, and then he said, I realized that I had come to a conclusion that was eminently reasonable, totally logical, and completely wrong. <laughs> because yes. while learning to think, I almost forgot how to feel. Yeah. yeah. He, he realized where you need to be is in the emergency room with your friend, not worrying about where you put things or park this car. Go to the emergency room. And that's what, you know, we have to realize I may add that men have more of a problem doing that. There are men I know who say there's no point in living. I, I can't work anymore. Yes. And their wife and children are sitting right next to them. Yes. That blows my mind. Yeah. You know, I would point out, excuse me, look on your left. I think there are a few good reasons sitting here. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, and some I know have even committed suicide when the doctor told them you can't work anymore, play tennis. You know, it's like, then what's left of my life? So it isn't about doing. It's about being. We need to be human beings, not human doings, and to understand that. And, you know, and there are many people who become our teachers due to all their, you know, accidents and diseases and genetic problems and all kinds of things, but they go on um, and, and they don't stop living um, because they've lost an arm or a leg or something else. Mm. You know, they don't look in the mirror and say, well, you know, I'm not a person anymore. I'm not complete. Um, completeness is not about the physical parts. It's about you as an entity, as a being. As a whole, as a whole being. Yeah. Which is the idea of holistic medicine. And you and I, Bernie, have talked about both of us being what, what you call love warriors, uh, which is putting this caring at the heart of our work and, um, and listening. So tell me a little bit about how listening transforms yeah. your patients. I was watching a program 
where they talked about you can be a lover or a warrior. Mm. And it occurred to me, you could be a love warrior because this the man presenting was saying you have to be one or the other, but you could be both. Yes. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, you use love as your weapon. And I'm, you know, I always say to people because they say, how do you do that? The next time somebody's yelling at you for taking their parking space, you know, for getting in front of them in line for something, just turn around and say, I love you. They don't know what to do with you then. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's like you've hit him in the head with a mallet. Yeah. I get such a kick out of it when I do it because then the people try to avoid you because you know, <laughs> they don't know what to do with you. So yeah. if they see you again, they make sure they walk the other way. Um, and I had one person in a parking lot who was even threatening me. I mean, I'm sure this lady was on drugs or something. She started screaming at me for no reason that I could understand screaming at me and coming towards me. And I said to her, I don't know what's going on in your life. I'm sorry for whatever it is, but I want you to know I love you. And she stopped screaming, turned around, got in her car and drove away. Yes. And several people came over to me and said, thank you. We didn't know what she was going to do to you. We were about to knock her down. Yes. Uh, so she wouldn't hurt you. Um, and they were, so impressed with the power of love. Um, so I, 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 you know, there are various uh, ministers, clergy, philosophers, yeah. you know, who preach that. Even the Bible tells us, you know, the power, the power of, love, of love. That if only you could love enough, you'd be the most powerful being on the earth, and well, and it's true. But actually, declaring it out loud in the car park is quite um, quite courageous, Bernie. Well. I, you know, I feel that. Now, I have to add this because yes. people say to me, what are you getting mad at me for? Why are you yelling at me? Yes. You talk about love all the time. I said, that's right. I love you, but I don't like how you're treating me. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I always say this righteous indignation. Anger yes. is also appropriate if you want to be a survivor. If you're not treated with respect, it's okay to be angry because whether it's being a patient or what a patient, the word derives from, is a submissive sufferer. So if you're a submissive sufferer and take all that, no, that's not survival behavior. The, the love warrior will come back and say, I love you. Well, let me give you an example. Uh, a woman I knew, I was helping her because she had cancer. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about love, and she thinks I'm nuts. She said, I have alcoholic parents. You know, they've abused me when I was a child. Um, but I got her to start saying I love you to them. Yes. She said, it doesn't make any difference. They don't do anything. You know, before she'd leave the house every day, say I love you. She came in one day to see me with a big smile. I said, what is it? She said, I was late for work today, so I ran out of the house, and my parents were in the street screaming, you forgot something, you forgot something. <laughs> I said, I have my papers, I have my you know, pocketbook, well, what are you talking about? And they said, you didn't say I love you today. Yes. And she said, we stood there hugging and crying in yeah. the street. Yeah. You see, that healed a whole lifetime. And I think that's the part. Um, you know, I always think of um, Gandhi in India, where he was basically a love warrior. And the British respected him and really were courteous and, in a sense, loving to him. 
uh, here he is fighting them when they want to take over India, but he did it with love. Yes. That when they had some problems, I think some disease broke out. And I don't remember what it was, but he helped them, you know, to, to work with it. And so it was hard. It's hard to be mad at somebody, you know, who acts like that. You know, he didn't stand there cursing them and screaming at them. Uh, he was there to help them because people were what he was interested in. So he became a teacher for them. And though they may not have agreed with him, as I said, you don't have to like what he's doing, but you can still love him. And the same is true with families and children. Yes. You say to them, I don't like what you're doing. I love you, but what you're doing isn't safe or isn't sensible. And, uh, you know, to learn and they can listen to you because they know that love is behind it. Um, yeah, the poet Robert Frost said, home is a place that when you go there, they have to take you in. <laughs> and I think that yeah. lets you know that you're you're loved. Yes. You, know, you may be embarrassing uh, to the family, but you're loved, so you're still part of the family. So uh, I've spoken about this with other guests before, but unconditional love, we uh, you know, is the term that is used in the Bible and so I, on. Uh, you know that you you do you 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 separate the person from the problem. You love the person, but you don't love their behaviour. And you can sort the problem out by looking at that quite separately together as partners, actually. Yeah, another, I mean, struck me one day, talking about relationships, was reading Joseph Campbell again, talking about marriage. Yes. And it said marriage is an ordeal. And I thought, what kind of a, you know, how could you write that? You know, what is your wife going to think when she sees that? And then one night, I was uh, lecturing, and when I was done, and my wife was also in the lecture with me, I mean, she would be on the stage and did a lot of humor, because mm. um, I must say, besides love, laughter is the next best healer. Yes, we uh, should talk about that in a minute, yes. Yeah, and so a bunch of women gathered around her who were, were looking at me, you know, oh, what a wonderful man, look at all the things he said. And they said to my wife, oh, what's it like to be married to him? <laughs> he said, it's a struggle. <laughs> and then they looked at me like, oh, what's wrong with him? But it was what Campbell was saying. See, yes. ordeal, struggle. Yes. He said, marriage is about a relationship. See, one and one create a third entity. It's like yes. one plus one equals three. Yes. It's, it's not about the two individuals, it's about the relationship. Which is the third And that's element. work, see? That's an ordeal. That's yes. a struggle. Yes. If you're going to stay together, well, you know, in this country, look who's running for president. Um, Donald Trump has been married three times. Yes. Hillary Clinton's husband had an affair, but they're still married. Yes. So I prefer her ah. because I think she knows how to work out a relationship. Yes. And he just keeps, you know, I'll start again. I'll get a new one. And he's probably blaming, you know, the other person, see, for the problem. But I think, again, working out a relationship is work. And uh, listening. See, the other is that I always tell people, you want to find a good lawyer, you want to find a good doctor, ask them, are you criticized by the people you work with 
the people you work for, and your family. Mm. And you know what the good ones all say? Mm. Yes. Why do they say yes? Because they're learning from their mistakes. You see, they're being coached. So I would hear the same thing from nurses, patients, my family, when they didn't like how I was behaving. You know, it wasn't appropriate. And I would listen and learn. And so they'd keep talking to me because as one nurse said, you know, there are doctors I talk to, they make an excuse. They blame the patient. They blame the nurse. They blame, you know, they don't want to listen. So I don't talk to them. There's no point in it. And that's why she said, I keep talking to you when there's something I think you can do better. You know, it's not that you're a terrible doctor, but I know you listen and you're willing to change. Yeah. And that's the key to listen and learn Listen and move forward, you know, yeah. be educated. Yeah. I think I have as what the three three L's for my work. Listen, learn and love, actually. The three L's, right. listen, learn and love, as being the center of the, of the work that I do. So that's interesting that you focus on that too. And add another L, the laughter. Yes, now tell because, me about laughter. You know, in the midst of fear, I mean, my situations are probably a little more dramatic than yours. You know, in an operating room or, or somebody learns they have a horrible illness, um, I would do what I call childlike humor. Yes. Yes. Uh, I mean, a simple example was a lady who was really quite a panic and it delayed the operation, but I realized talking to her is not getting anywhere. You know, uh, she was not listening to me. So I wheeled her into the operating room and she said, thank God all these wonderful people are going to take care of me. I said, I know these people. I've worked with them for years. They're not wonderful people. <laughs> and she burst out laughing, as did everybody in the operating room. And yes. we were family, you yes. see. Oh, uh, got to tell you this one. My mother-in-law was in her 80s, at least. I operated on her uh, under local. She had a hernia. Uh -huh. And I was thinking, what can I do to help her not have pain and recover quickly? So I said out loud so everybody in the operating room could hear. I said, now remember, when you go home, no sex for six weeks. <laughs> she was so embarrassed. She got up, got dressed, went home, and only took one pain pill that they gave her in the recovery room. Otherwise, she was fine. You know, her crazy son-in-law. But, you know, I did it just for that reason. Because yes. I knew she would jump up, go home, and not have any trouble with the surgery. And um, I'd say, again, don't forget the laughter. Because my wife um, did stand-up one-liners comedy yeah. uh, as part of a presentation. Because I could see the change in the audience physically. You know what I mean? After they laugh for 10 or 15 minutes, everybody's sitting up looking younger and happier. Uh, if I speak for two hours, that look doesn't come over them. You know? <laughs> um, and so they were always thanking her for that what you might call intermission, you know, where they had all the laughter and could feel how much better they were. Yeah, so you make a, you make a good team, you and your wife, then. Oh, yes. Yeah. We've been together a long time. And I may say, one of the things, when you talk about conflict, too, and understanding that, as I was saying, that there is appropriate anger. We were speaking down south here in our country, and um, I felt... It was for a women's group. There were hundreds of women in the audience. But I felt a certain hostility. And I said to the person who invited me, 
it doesn't feel comfortable here. Mm. She said, they're jealous of you and your wife. I said, what do you mean? She said, your wife gets on the stage with you. She can interrupt you. She corrects you. They have become submissive. They don't understand politeness, and they have become submissive. And that's something, again, in relationships, you have to realize. There is appropriate anger, as I was saying. I can say I love you, but I don't like how you're treating me. Mm -hmm. But when you become submissive, then that doesn't come out, and you suffer the effects of being, you know, the doormat. And everybody walks all over you because you don't stand up for yourself. And you don't fight for yourself and your dignity. I literally tell people, get your baby pictures out. And I meet people whose parents never even took a baby picture of them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, they were addicts and alcoholics and abusive. And and they didn't even want their kids. Um, And and literally, some of them told their children to commit suicide. Um, But when I say get your baby picture, put it up where you live and work. And when you pass the picture, give yourself that love. Love that kid. You know, you can reparent yourself and you can eliminate all of the painful people from your life because you're in charge of what you think. And I keep saying to people, the only thing you're control of, in control of is what's going on in your head. You can't control the world and life and everybody else. But what you think about and what you feel are your choice. And when you make the right choices, it's very different. And I may add, that's also part of why we choose professions. See that when a doctor says, oh, I'm, I want to be a doctor because I'm fascinated by the human body. Okay? Or a lawyer is really fascinated by the various laws. Yes. But people show up. Yeah. You know? uh, and you have to be willing to help the people and what they're experiencing. Not just the diagnosis. This was a sentence about medicine. The doctors are trained to treat the result, not the cause. And you can say the same thing about lawyers. Yeah, they're, they're, they're trained they're, to look for the legal problem and the legal solution yeah. and what's right and what's right. wrong. But yeah. why yeah. is it happening? Yeah. You know, like the yeah. divorce. Milton Erickson, who's a hypnotherapist, um, worked with a lot of couples. And when people came in, he would say... What I want you to do tomorrow is climb up this mountain and tell me what you think of the view. Now, if they came back the next day and the husband said, what a waste of time. Why did the ancestor do that? And the wife said, oh, it was just beautiful from up there. He knew they were going to get a divorce, you know, because of their different experiences. But if they both came back and said, you know, it was terrible or lovely, he knew they'd hang together. And I knew... Another lawyer, this was a lawyer, not a therapist, he kept a dog in his office because he did a lot of divorce work. And if the people came in, you know, and the wife yelled, get that dog out of here. And the husband said, honey, calm down. It's a cute little thing. And he stopped petting it. He knew they were going to get a divorce. Yes, I see. Yeah. But actually having an animal also kind of humanizes in a sense or brings people back to a, a sort of more relational stance in, in meetings. It can be useful to have a, a dog yeah. in, a, in a meeting. Not that I've tried it, but I have heard from other people that... Uh, yeah, I've been dogs to, you know, our support group. Yes. And, um, yeah, and it's funny because I remember one night, it's rare, but a woman said, oh, I'm afraid of dogs. Now, her husband has cancer. And she's more afraid of the dog than helping him with his cancer. 
I mean, that's how crazy it can get. Um, but uh, generally, when studies are done, it's about relationships, again, where we started out, that you have a heart attack, study done in Australia, go home to a house with a dog, a year later, um, 6% of the people had died. Mm. If there was no dog in the house, 24% of the people had died. Yes. And I may add, women live longer than men with the same cancers and, you know, and all diseases because they're into relationships. But the problem, again, is there are women who will say, I can't die until you're all married and out of the house. But then when did they die? They, when the kids left home. I mean, these are true stories. I don't make them up. So you have to be more than the lawyer, the doctor, the mother, the father. Don't live a role. What I often say, I don't know how you'd answer this. When you get to heaven and they say, you're next, how do you want to be introduced to God? What would you tell them? Uh, what would I say? Just like, it's me, I'm here, I don't know. What, what's the answer? The right answer isn't, it's me. Because then they say, come back when you know who you are. <laughs> but if I'm you thinking you don't want to lawyer, say I'm a lawyer, do you? help either. No, exactly. But when you say, tell God, his child is here. Okay. Or tell God, yeah. you know, God is here, you know, that you're part of the same thing. Yes. And oh, the best answer, you see, this is when a child is brought up properly. I said this to some high school students. Um, and one of them said, tell God his replacement is here. <laughs> now, there's a kid brought up with love. And I may add, when I talk about high school students, in one study, 70% have contemplated suicide. They, what the conflict is, this sentence, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. He who's willing to lose his life will save it. When you become what everyone else wants, you lose your life. Yes. So when your parents tell you what they want you to be, you lose your life. Yes. But when you eliminate from your life what's killing you, see, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to have that in my life. That's when you save your life. So lose the untrue self. Otherwise, you have the internal conflict. And I may add, that's what affects your chemistry. See? Monday morning, we have more heart attacks, strokes, suicides, and illnesses. Why? Because people aren't happy on Monday. Going to work, traffic, whatever it is. But if you love what you're doing. See, in this, I see the other side of the coin. When people aren't happy with what they're doing and they're told they have a few months to live and they start living what they love to do, moving, buying a house on the ocean, going to the mountains, getting a dog. I mean, all these people I know and what they did, leaving their troubles to God, they didn't die. They, yes. There's one line, I just got such a kick out of it to share with you because... I told the family that I was going to come to the funeral um, of this gentleman who moved out to the mountains of Colorado, and I live on the East Coast. And um, I said, call me to come to the funeral. And um, I didn't hear from them for a year. So I called up to really tell them how upset I was that they didn't pay attention to my desire to be there. And the man I thought was dead answered the phone. And he said, it was so beautiful here, I forgot to die. <laughs> now, 
Those were his exact words. Yes. And again, there are others, uh, you know, who do all these things, change jobs, move, just to enjoy life. But you see, when you enjoy life, then your body's chemistry changes. Yes. Now it's trying to keep you alive. Yeah. Rather than end your life, like on Monday morning, you're not happy, let's get out of here. Um, so keep giving your body that kind of message. And have a relationship also with your body, so you're not in conflict with your own body. Because the body's trying to help you, and, and it, it stores all your conflicts. I mean, numbers, Carl Jung said this, numbers are discovered and invented, they have quantity and meaning. And it's amazing. I do a lot of work with drawings and dreams that people have. See, a lady draws a broken heart with 21 drops of blood. What happened when you were 21? And she poured out this horrible experience that she had of this sexual abuse. That's not an accident, you see. I mean, we know now when we transplant organs, we literally move memories on with them. Yes, that's so, amazing, isn't it? That, 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 yeah. That, yes, well, it's not amazing to me. I mean, it's... Yeah. It's a part of our body, you know, it's stored in us. And so it's not accidents often what part of your body gets a disease because of what's going on in your life and your thoughts and how you haven't gotten that out. So again, don't have an inner conflict. Keep a journal, see a therapist, get into a support group, but speak it out. And see, you have to hear yourself, yeah. you know, something that you and I... Um, talked about for a minute uh, was reading Helen Keller who I love um, I mean what an attitude you see you talk about conflict um, blind and deaf from the time she was four years old she wasn't mad at God she wasn't cursing screaming she was learning that's what she said you know that God disciplines us God teaches us through these difficulties but the thing that impressed me most was the statement she said um I've heard of the waves, um, the, yeah, the, the glow of light on the waves, um, but far more than sight, I wish for my ears to be open. The voice of a friend, the imaginations of Mozart. Deafness is darker by far than blindness. Yes. And that really hit me, that I began to realize that we need to listen to ourselves and each other. That's how, again, you eliminate conflict because you learn what people are experiencing. They, not the divorce, cancer, the colon. You know, that's a diagnosis. But what are you going through? What are you experiencing? And then I found the words that came out of people always about their life. You know, words like um, confusion roadblock, failure. And as I said, there are a few people who say, wake up, call blessing, new beginning, because they're learning from the change. But then I would treat the word, they, where does failure, where does roadblock, where does draining, what else in your life? Yeah, one woman who was about to be admitted to the hospital with a severe migraine headache for several weeks, I said to her, what is a pain like? She said, it's pressure. And then I got into what the pressure in her life was about and helping her to relieve it through a meditation and so forth. And um, the nurse came to me later and said she just went home. And she was supposed to be admitted to the hospital because of the pain. 
She just went home. It's her marriage. See, I didn't ask her what it was because she wasn't my patient. Mm -hmm. uh, but I heard she was in a lot of pain, so I just went to try to help her. But 15 minutes later, she's free of pain when she realizes what's causing pressure in her life is her marriage. So you go straighten that out, and then the physical benefits come from it. And that's, again, why um, Solzhenitsyn in his book Cancer Ward said it very well, too. One of the men says to the others, I found this book. It says here there are cases of self-induced healing, not recovery through treatment, but healing. And it was as though self-induced healing flooded out of the book like a rainbow-colored butterfly. See, that's the solution to everything, symbolically. The butterfly is a symbol of change. What's the rainbow? Your life in order and harmony. So if you said, I'm trying to help people with conflict, then ask them, what do you need to change? Yes. How can you bring harmony and rhythm back into your life? And again, it's totally individual because there are times, you know, I may not like something and somebody else loves it. You know, like living in a big city with noise and, and somebody else says, oh, it's so full of energy. I love it. Okay, but I'd rather be out in the country where it's quiet. And that's the other thing we also have to realize if we're going to resolve conflict. You have to quiet your mind. In myths and fairy tales, <clears throat> it's the still pond that lets the ugly duckling see he's a swan. It's the still pond that lets a tiger brought up by goats when his mother dies giving birth to him, sees that he's a tiger for the first time because the goats brought him up, and he doesn't know he's a tiger. And those are the things that impressed me, too, that until you quiet your mind, you don't see the truth. Because while you've got the inner turbulence, oh, what a horrible person, what a horrible marriage, what a terrible job, look what's happened to my body, that doesn't work. But you quiet your mind. And I always say a good role model for that because it's something you have to rehearse and practice doing. See, that life is about performing. And we need to improve our performance. So you rehearse and practice and you have role models. And one of the best role models, I always feel, is an animal. So I always say to people, WWLD, what would Lassie do? <laughs> we, you know, uh, there are times, as yeah. I said, you may growl, but... You know, you don't take a bite out of somebody. You just let them know how you're feeling. We had in mediation the idea of listening like a cow because a cow has lovely big brown eyes and just looks <laughs> at you and, and just listens. And um, they've also had over here listening dogs in schools because dogs will listen to children who can't read very well reading and not, criticize, right. and not criticize them. Yep. So. Yeah. I mean, they, they don't see the dogs look in the mirror even if they've lost body parts and they don't criticize, oh, look how I look, I can't go out today. But, you know, <laughs> yes. but we're so concerned with that, what will people see, that external appearance. Yes. And that's not what life is about. Yes. It's, it's what your internal appearance is about. What is your heart like? Well, I, I wrote that in my notes, Bernie, that your work and mine is to a certain extent about people going inside. It's about finding what their inner self is, what their inner story is, what that is telling them. And our job is partly to help people to do right. that um, by listening, simply by listening to it, them. 
you know, there was a song, I don't remember the name of it, but this line was, let your heart make up your mind. And that's yes. what, you know, like back to that lawyer who said, while learning to think, I almost forgot how to feel. Yes. But yes. if you're letting your heart make up your mind, you'll keep feeling. And mottos to live by that resolve conflict. I grew up with parents um, who were therapeutic. I didn't realize it as a kid. Um, you know, what other children were often going through. But if I had a problem, my mother never solved it. So it drove me crazy as a kid. Because what she would say to me all the time is, do what will make you happy. See, I'm telling her my problems. What should I do? And all she would say is, do what will make you happy. And I would always walk away thinking, what a mother. She doesn't help me with anything. <laughs> and now <But> you know. <laughs> But she was doing the right thing because yes. then I had to go yes. and pay attention to myself. Well, the next was, Mom, I got a horrible problem. Something really was a disaster today yes. at school. And she'd say, God is redirecting you. Something good will come of this. That also drove me nuts. <laughs> I used to talk with God in my bedroom about my mother. <laughs> well, I, but, I but, think but, that's you know, wonderful. So many famous people who had that kind of a mother. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, if God slams one door further down the corridor, another will be open. Um, and, and uh, you know, and so they grow up with a different attitude. And my father, uh, whose father died of tuberculosis when he was a little boy, uh, leaving six children and a wife with no insurance. He said, I learned from all the troubles what was important about life. He said, my father dying was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Mm -hmm. I thought that was nuts to say that. Yes. But he said, no, it taught me what was important about life. And he was such a gentle, sweet man. You know, let me give you an example of how he resolved conflict, okay? This really happened years ago. One of my neighbors, another kid, had this wonderful toy that I wanted. You know, I wanted that kind of toy, but I didn't have it. So when he and I were playing, I broke it because <laughs> yeah. I didn't want him to have one if I didn't have one. Yes, I, 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 yeah. And, and his family, you know, came over and told my folks what I had done. Uh -huh. The next day, and, and again, my father never punished. I mean, because of what he lived with as a kid, you know, he never took in, spanked you or screamed at you or anything. He just was quiet. The next day, he came home with that toy. I was in the front yard. He came over. He said, here, I know you wanted one of these. And he walked into the house. He never said anything about what I should do with it. He didn't say give it to, back to the you know neighbor because you broke his. He said, I knew you wanted this here mm -hmm. and in the house. Now, I can tell you, I knew I could keep it. And he wouldn't have said a word. Mm -hmm. He would have been disappointed, I'm sure. But he wouldn't have said a word. But as I was sitting there thinking, well, I could keep it. And I thought, if you keep it, your head's going to explode. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I could feel the pressure yes. that he had put on me. So I picked it up, went to the neighbor's house and gave him the toy. Um, and then I was at peace again. But that's the kind of person he was, you know. He didn't say, here, go give it to him or I'll go get you another one or what's wrong with you. It was just quiet, and he lived the, the sermon. Well, I, I think it's interesting that you say that, uh, you know, you were at peace again, because I think what people, even people in conflict, are looking for is 
yes, they're looking for a resolution, but they're looking to be at peace with themselves. And that's the hardest thing for them to find sometimes because we could resolve the conflict. They could win at court or they could win uh, in a sense that they feel they've won the argument. But if they're not at peace with themselves, they haven't really achieved what they needed to achieve, I think. Yeah. Peace is the key. Yes. I mean, I think of some things physically, athletically. Um, I ran a few marathons years ago to help, uh, you know, raise funds for charities and different things. And there was a woman standing on the street corner in New York saying, you're all winners as we went by. <laughs> and I love that. Yes. You know, because if it takes me twice as long to run 26 miles as the person who won the race, hey, you know, that doesn't mean I'm a terrible athlete. No, I finished. You know, I completed it. Well, that reminds me of my daughter, who is now a doctor herself, but she was watching a, a race at one stage, a road race, and uh, she could see this poor guy laboring at the back of the race, and she just went up to him and said, slow and steady wins the race. Right. <laughs> Which she'd learned right. somewhere. but <laughs> and you get a medal when you finish. That's right. You know? That's right. So it's that message. Finishing is what we need to do, you know, completing our lives or whatever else we're dealing with. Yes. Make it complete. Yes. Then you feel good. Yeah. It's a very different word, um, but it's the right word. Well, I kind of like that. I'd love to carry on, Bernie, but I think we, we probably are going to have to bring this recording at least to a close now. But we, I think we've covered a lot, really. And, and what's been interesting to me is comparing my profession which is legal and yours is medical, but thinking yeah. that the same principles apply, listening, people telling stories, the fact that There's actually... One, one other word I came up with in our support group was carefrontation. Yes. Oh, I meant to mention so that. Yes. yes. I think that that's what people need to do, that if they know you care about them, then you can confront them. Yes. So they don't become victims yes. of you know, life and live in conflict all the time. So carefrontation. So I care about you, but I can confront you and what you're doing, the choices you've made and everything else. And then you can empower them to make changes. So Bernie, would, would that be your final message or do you have a fi one final piece of advice for our listeners today? Well, I'd say most of all, love yourself. Um, because when I, I say the biggest problem on the planet is parenting. Um, because if you grow up without love, you're in big trouble. Mm. And so if you didn't, then reparent yourself because parents' words are hypnotic in the first five or six years of your life. And if they were negative, you're in big trouble because you're living what they did to you. Yes. And it shows in illness and mortality and everything else. If you can say, my parents loved me, then I know you'll take care of yourself. Yes. Because again, think of the conflict. Why do you smoke? Why are you 100 pounds overweight? Why are you a drug addict and an alcoholic? Are you stupid? If we put a label on it, said it's no good for you, would you stop? No. Mm -hmm. It's because you don't love yourself. And then you think this is rewarding or it makes my brain numb and then I don't have to live in pain. Mm -hmm. So don't seek revenge. Love yourself love your life and care about yourself because the revenge is the other thing that we read about 
uh, you know, everybody walking around with a gun, killing everybody. Yes. Probably more in our country than in yours. But it's, again, they're seeking revenge for how they were brought up and how they were treated. If you're brought up with love, so fill your house with animals, so your kids have a reverence for life. Mm-hmm. Here's my conclusion. Can you yeah. talk about Because I know I never stop telling stories. But <laughs> I go out walking the dog, and there are lots of worms on the street after it rains. What do I do? I pick the worms up, and I put them back on the earth. And I figure I'm neurotic, you know, but I care about life. Yes. I knew I wasn't neurotic when I read Albert Schweitzer's writing. He said, if you're out on the street after the rain and you see an earthworm, pick it up and put it back on the earth. And if you see an insect in a puddle, give it a leaf to climb up on. Yes. And I learned that with our five children. Bring them up with animals. They have a reverence for life. And by the way, two of them are lawyers. Ah. I think they saw the pain I had as a doctor, so they never <laughs> chose medicine. But one of them, as a lawyer, and he's in law enforcement too, um, said after a class he went out and saw a turtle in the street. So he picked it up, spent half an hour to find a pond to release it in. Now, see, I don't worry about him having a gun, if you know what I mean. Um because if he'd spend half an hour saving a turtle's life, he cares about life and people. Yes. yes. And that's what we all need to do. Grow up with a reverence for life. Okay. Well, that, Bernie, that's a, a fantastic place for us to finish at least our um, our recording. But I, I've so enjoyed chatting with you today. And uh, let's, Thank you, Jane. let's encourage everyone to be love warriors and to practice care frontation. Uh, by the way, Bernie, if people want to find out more about you or read more of your um, writings, where do they do that? And the best place is Bernie Siegel, S-I-E-G-E-L, make sure you spell that right, yes. md.com. Okay. You know, that's my website. So they can read articles there, even order books and yes. CDs and everything. Fantastic. You know, it's interesting, Jane, your last name is gone. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, there's a story about that. Yes, that's my that's my married name, but the, the that's a and that's a, a Scottish clan, um, and uh, and the gun motto is either peace or war. Isn't that interesting? Mm. Yeah, I think I was Irish in a past life. I loved it. 